You are Locked On Suns, your daily Phoenix Suns podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Locked On Suns, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Today, as always, joined by my co-host, Brendan Clean, both right for Brightside of the Sun and SB Nation. You can follow Brendan on Twitter at BrendanClean14. You can follow me on Twitter at Eastsidery. We're here today discussing the latest news and rumors around the league before the Phoenix Suns cut the second half of the season. They have 23 final games left. But news came out yesterday from ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski, which is actually very related to the Phoenix Suns because they, as we all know, Ryan McDonough is preparing to go in and swing for the fences this summer or sometime in the next six months or so, I imagine, with all the assets he has lined up. And it's seemingly looking like the stars are lying for Kawhi Leonard to be that guy after Kyrie Irving to be the next superstar in the move, it seems like, after Adrian Wojnarowski's report, Brennan. So if you want to dive more into detail for the audience, Brennan, just like what's your thoughts on this report from Woj, and it's because I know he mentioned earlier today on ESPN and a sports center hit that the relationship's almost to the point where it needs repairing before Kawhi ever steps, steps foot on the floor for a Spurs uniform ever again. It's uh, super bizarre. I, I don't think this is the direction, at least I'll say I wasn't expecting it to turn this way after the uh, initial kind of like what the last report said was basically um, there's some hard feelings, not necessarily an agreement over how the uh, recovery process should be handled or, or how had been handled by the Spurs. Um, you know, they're historically a team like, I think it was the 2002 season or, or something, or maybe the two, not even sure where um, he injured his meniscus, I think, four days before the season was in, and they sat him. Um, even though he, he could have come back later in the playoffs. And that's just how they do things. And it doesn't seem like much really going with that. Uh, it doesn't have the same idea. So he's been away from the team, it looks like. Um, it really just seems to me like, um, you know, kind of that, that Spurs way well with him where the team is taking control and really – being in charge of his body, you know what I mean? It's, it is a weird thing to, to have to give up permission or, or like ownership of, you know, your own body's recovery. I can imagine that that'd be really weird. And, um, you know, we've never really seen a, a spur Popovich in that, that front office, but you know, if it does get any worse, I do think you're right that it, it's something that just to acquire a star like the Suns have to, kind of start to consider pretty heavily and obviously he's much better than really anybody to become available via trade um for as long as i can remember yeah if he does become available for the trade i imagine it would have to be the next step on this process would be san antonio i imagine offering Kawhi Leonard that super super max extension this summer and if he doesn't sign that then that's all we need to know as far as Kawhi's long-term future in san antonio and i imagine we could probably see san antonio start the phone calls as far as trying to trade Kawhi goes but I was looking at this as far as from a Suns perspective, and I've seen actually a lot of San Antonio people. I've been lurking on the message board and stuff in San Antonio, and actually a lot of people are circling to the Phoenix Suns as a possible destination if they somehow got to that point a few months down the road with Kawhi asking out. And the main reason for that being said is Josh Jackson. A lot of Spurs fans seem to be very interested in Josh Jackson being that Kawhi replacement, and it kind of actually makes a lot of sense on the surface, but I'm a big fan of Josh Jackson. He if he ends up somehow in San Antonio, we're not saying there's any rumors of the Suns and Spurs talking, obviously, but if it ever got to that point down the road this summer, I think Josh Jackson makes a lot of sense in some sort of Kawhi Leonard deal. So just what's your thoughts overall on the Suns? And like we said to the start at the beginning of this podcast, how do you think this affects them moving forward? Because I know 
obviously Ryan McDonough has to be watching this situation pretty closely. Uh, just to give the quote from Popovich that kind of initiated oh, this second batch of reporting that's being done. Um, he said, we only have X number of games left in the season and he's still not ready to go. If by some chance he is, it's going to be pretty late into the season and it's going to be a pretty tough decision how late to bring somebody back. So that's why I'm just trying to be honest and logical. I will be surprised if he gets back this year. That was Popovich on Wednesday at practice. Um, a little bit more too so basically Kawhi has been given clearance by the Spurs organization to decide when he will return it's a matter of him just being of his right quadricep injury at this point so that's where the, the tension's coming from is that you know initially I think it was they were kind of taking control that first batch of reporting maybe there was some change where they gave gave him some more freedom. He went to New York for those 10 days away from the team, and uh, now it's out that he's, he's able to come back whenever, and he just hasn't done so yet and hasn't, doesn't appear close to doing so. Um, it's probably the biggest thing to watch in the entire league. Like I said, like obviously LeBron James changed teams, Kevin Durant changed teams. Those weren't trades. The guys who've been traded are a little bit lower caliber than any of those players and so imagine like besides Jackson what do you think a trade like that would even have to include I can't even like piece together because it's so much better and younger a player than anyone who's been dealt uh, over the last few years I mean thinking about on the surface I mean I don't know how the Suns draft pick goes I think that pay, plays a lot into it but I imagine the Suns pick would be a lot more into it as, over the Miami pick for sure for obvious reasons because Kawhi's a superstar but Maybe the Suns' 2018 first-round pick, top five, plus Josh Jackson, plus maybe Dragon Bender. I think that might be enough if Kawhi asked out. But I feel like that's maybe a lot for the Suns because I know they've been playing this entire summer to get like a DeAndre Ayn or a Luka Doncic, but you don't even know if they'll ever be close to a Kawhi Leonard type. So I feel like this might be the time where, like I mentioned on the podcast before, if Jeremy, Jeremy Andrew Ryan McDonough does have a mandate from Robert Sarr to improve this team immediately and make him a playoff contender next year, I mean, Kawhi, it's kind of, like I mentioned earlier, the starts kind of aligning to the point where if McDonough wants to quote-unquote panic into a trade, I mean, you can't really go wrong with Kawhi if you want to try out Kawhi and Booker and see where that takes you. Yeah, I think uh, I think you're right with the, those players. I think those are probably the two best assets aside from Booker on the team, obviously, and then um, I don't think, I don't know, I feel like it would have to be our pick unprotected because it's, odds are it's going to be top five. If you're protecting it top five, then you're not really giving it. I think at this point, considering how the lottery looks, we're pretty set to be in, in the top five at least. And then um, probably I would assume you would want to include that 2021 Miami pick just because it, it is talked about as the Suns' best asset aside from their own pick this year. So you're acquiring a player good. I guess there is the potential, too, that you have to consider with BV. He'd be an unrestricted free agent. He's not like some of these other guys that have been dealt where, like, you know, Aaron Gore, who we talked about the other day, if they had acquired him at the deadline and they have his restricted rights, that's not the case, obviously, with Leonard, who's coming up with his second contract um, and will be an unrestricted free agent after a season. So, like, everybody seems to be in the NBA. So, you know, there's a chance that he... If he really does get tired of playing in San Antonio, maybe he 
you know, ask for a trade just to see another situation and then ends up, you know, targeting one of the LA teams as well, obviously played college in San Diego as well. So, you know, who knows? Um, the other thing that's hard is Spurs have never traded anybody. They don't do that. Like, I, it's just such a completely unheard of situation. I guess as far as Kawhi goes, I, I know you mentioned the LA teams, but from a Spurs perspective, if the Kawhi for some reason asked out this summer, do you think a team like the Phoenix makes the most sense from San Antonio's perspective? Because to them, like you've traded to, let's say, the Lakers, the Clippers, somewhere in the East, like a Boston, I feel like maybe a team like Phoenix is on the rise, but not going to be around for at least two or three years. Maybe that makes the most sense for San Antonio's perspective because you really won't have to worry about Kawhi as far as being a contender for a title immediately, right? I mean, I think that makes the most sense to me for them. Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, just trying to think of like also who they could get players from. If I think that, you know, one other aspect of this is like Greg Popovich decided to stick around when the team got the Marcus Aldridge and were able to re-sign Kawhi Leonard. Uh, and had Tim Duncan for the, a couple of years. Like that was a big part of the storyline when they got Aldridge was Popovich, who's in his late sixties, agreed to you know kind of see the this next version of the team out to where or, you know whatever the end of of Leonard or Aldridge's contract. And so if this situation changes, then you know it's hard to kind of see where the Spurs' priorities go then. Would they also want to trade Aldridge and, and really, really rebuild, or are they too confident in their system to, to do that? Because if they really were to rebuild, I think a package from the Suns makes a lot of sense, whereas just off the top of my head, like Boston, you know, they, they would be able to offer you know younger players kind of in the next phase of their career, like a Jalen Brown type Jason Tatum who are kind of more competitive right now and, and not so much project type guys and maybe that's more appealing to the Spurs if they think yeah, let's hold on to Aldridge let's see what, how we can re- rebuild this team and continue to compete so um, obviously that'll all come secondary to watching what Leonard says and does and you know like you said that, that max contract I guess to wrap up our final points here on Kawhi, just what are you most looking forward to? Because I know from, like we just said earlier, this, this is for, pretty big from the Suns' perspective because we've been saying all year long on this podcast that McDonough's I mean, eyeing this big move this summer. And if Kawhi does ask out, I mean, that's, I think that's, I, I imagine Phoenix will inquire like they did with Kyrie. But with Josh Jackson, I know this seems like a stupid question on the surface, but he was not involved in the Kyrie Irving talks. He was not involved in the trade deadline for any sort of guy like a DeAndre Jordan or anything. Do you think that McDonough, for some reason, would say, eh, Kawhi has injury history. I'd rather go with a guy that I think might be better than Kawhi down the road than Josh Jackson. I think Kawhi is just another caliber of player where I, I would yeah. imagine nobody's untouchable outside of Booker. I think who has even a potential to be as to reach as high a, a ceiling as as Kawhi has, VP candidate last year received first place MVP votes. Like, so what do you think of Josh Jackson? I haven't heard anybody in this party of people that think that Josh Jackson is enough to one day receive first place MVP votes. Like, you know, you've seen positive signs, but that's so that you're talking like you know some of the best players in history. If you're reaching that type of pinnacle over multiple seasons, so I have a ton of respect for Kawhi, and I think he's one of the better players in the entire league. And more for the fact that trading Booker would kind of 
make acquiring Leonard kind of moot in the first place, then you're losing the only other star on your team, and you're not really going to be that competitive. I would trade anybody on the roster outside of Booker and any pick, really. I just think he's that good. Yeah, I agree with you there on Kawhi totally. I think he's a, the number three player in this league behind LeBron and KD when he's fully healthy, maybe number two if he's fully healthy. But I guess to wrap it up with Kawhi, with him and Booker, it's an elite offensive weapon next to an elite defensive weapon. That's almost like peanut butter and jelly to me. You know, that's a, that's a perfect fit on the service as far as Booker and Kawhi together, isn't it? It is, yeah. I think, you know, there's the exact person you would create in a lab if you thought, you know, who can we pair with Devin Booker? I just think, you know, he can defend anybody, um, has enough of those secondary offensive skills to create his own shot, and just, it is, it's pretty perfect. All right, and uh, I guess with that, we'll move on because we'll probably hear more about the Kawhi situation over the next couple of weeks. It's like Brendan mentioned, it's one of the more bizarre situations we've ever seen in the NBA play out, especially over the last decade or so. So, moving on to our NBA draft process, we wanted to talk about today. And the main guy I wanted to head on was Duke's Wendell Carter. That's a guy I'm really starting to fall for. Right now, he's number eight on my draft board, and he'll be released here in a couple weeks on Bright Side of the Sun. I think Brendan also has Wendell Carter in his top 10. If you also follow Kellen Olson on Twitter from Arizona Sports, he actually pulled the trigger on. Wendell Carter moving up on his board ahead of Muhammad Bamba from number eight, and Bamba's down to number nine on his board. So I think Wendell Carter's a guy that's really gained a lot of steam, especially with Marvin Bagley third being out the last four games. He's averaging 16 points, 12 and a half rebounds, three assists, and three blocks. So in an alternate universe, Brent, I feel like if he wasn't alongside Marvin Bagley third this year, I think Wendell Carter would be getting a lot of, a lot of discussion, especially to be a top five pick this year. Yeah, and you mentioned Kellen. He was actually the one who originally, I, like, what I tried to do when I first, when the, the season was first starting and I did my first mock draft over at Fansided was just to, like, go through um, all maybe, like, the top four guys on, you know, kind of the consensus boards and just really get, like, an initial impression. I knew some of the names, like, I had seen Bagley's stuff before and I really like some of the McDonald's All-American guys who I watched in that game but like I really just tried to go in and, and watch and I was really not high on Carter but then uh, Kellen released his first board over at Arizona Sports and he brought up the uh, Al Horford comparison that I think a lot of people are kind of latching on to I don't think you know he didn't create it I don't think but brought it to my attention for the first time and I just think that's a really really perfect um, both because of how Stylistically, they're pretty similar in that Carter can also kind of do a little bit of everything. He's a great passer, had six assists against uh, Louis Wednesday night, can shoot, had a game where he's made four out of seven three-pointers earlier in the year against Evansville, and then he's going to give you offensive rebounding and shooting, uh, scoring every night, like just a little bit of everything like Horford does. And, um, you know, like you said, maybe without Bagley, he looks a little bit better, but even in these last four games, he hasn't just blown the roof off of any team. He's just a really consistent player, I think, to be most uh, intrigued by if you're watching him. I guess with Carter compared to the most guys, I haven't ranked eight on my board, and the reason why is because I don't think he has the highest ceiling, but I think his floor is by far the highest out of most bigs, maybe outside of Jaron Jackson Jr. and, and DeAndre. And do you feel the same way? Because I feel like he's almost a guy that you know is going to be a, a guy that averages at least 10 points a game, stretched to the floor for you, and provides a really good defense. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I, one pairing, I think, uh, you know, not the Suns, but kind of give context to kind of what you're saying with the, the floor is I've been really excited about him with uh, being picked by the six who have the Lakers pick in the, if it falls, you know, later in the lottery. And that pairing to me makes a lot of sense because obviously the Sixers are in a more competitive situation than a lot of the teams in the lottery, but uh, uh, versatility, I think, is what really would shine in a 
the next two. He could play next to Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, um, you know, at either the four or the five, depending on how the lineups would there. I just think he's a, a guy who really is going to make things easier for whatever team he ends up on. Um, you watch him next to Bagley and really, really awkward when you first tried to look at it before the season actually started, and even early in the season. And then, you know, slowly but surely, when you watch Carter, he's taken a back seat, not really lost any of his position. And I think that's a real testament to how well uh, he's been able to just transition and caps for, for Duke, which their starting five is one of the more interesting things to watch to me just because of how our power and talent there is and watching it all trying to fit together. I think one of the big reasons it does is because of Carter. I guess with Carter, I was watching Louisville game yesterday all the way through, even though they won by almost 35 points, I think, against Louisville. But I, I was getting a lot of these vibes from Wendell Carter. I don't know if you have the same comparison on the services from a Suns perspective, but he kind of reminds me a lot of what Dragon Bender should be, and maybe outside of the versatility as far as switching goes, because he's, I mean, my goodness, he's a really good passer for a big. He's a good rebounder, even better than Dragon is. He's a better scorer than Dragon is, and I feel like that's kind of everything Dragon Bender could be. Do you feel like that's kind of the same way that you're getting? Like you're, like you're saying with the versatility, like the fact that he can, um, he's a much better rebounder. I think he's one of the better rebounding prospects, um, you know, just because Bamba and Jaron Jer- and Jackson are so inconsistent as rebounders. I think Carter actually does kind of stand out with these big men. Um, but as good of a passer as Bender, really few guys are. I think, you know, we both agree there. But I, don't, I also don't think, um, you know, what he can shoot, there's been entire games or entire stretches of games where he just hasn't taken any threes. So it's not a consistent part of his game yet. And so obviously Bender's become a really big spot up, spot up weapon. And so, you know, Carter's not there yet, but as far as just that, uh, kind of being able to pull an offense that Bender can do, I think you're, you're right there. I just think, you know, they're a little bit different in, in kind of specific ways. And I guess one more point here on Carter I want to bring up as well was I tweeted to Kelly yesterday discussing about his board. And I think, I don't know how hot how take it this opinion is, I wanted to ask you as well, but do you feel like Wendell Carter could be the better pro than Marvin Bagley? Because I'm, I have Bagley at number seven I'm on my board right now, Carter number eight. But over the last four games, I feel like, like I mentioned earlier, Carter in a number one role in a different school if he wasn't a Duke or a long summer in Bagley. I think his, his name would be a lot different in a lot of draft circles. And I think I'm starting to get a lot more confidence as far as his pro potential goes. Yeah, I think if he was on a, a completely different team, one of those less, like, you know, kind of like the situation Bomb has in Texas where uh, he's really the only focal point as far as draft consideration goes and he's able to have a little bit more freedom to do different things. Maybe, um, you know, on Duke, even without Bagley these last four games, they still have all those other guys who are, are so talented and have a spotlight on themselves as well. So, um, but I think, you know, I have Carter 10th, uh, a little, I have him below Sexton and, and Mikhail Bridges, who I think you probably have behind him on your at eight, um, and I have Bagley at seven as well. So both for me too. But I think obviously Bagley has the bust potential that I think you kind of don't really see with Carter, and that's the difference. So you know that's why I think a team like the Sixers, um, you know, again probably not the Suns, maybe not the best pick for them when they're still in a pretty. The middle stages of a rebuild, whereas the Sixers are kind of rebuild, makes a lot more sense for them just because he's going to be able to produce, I think, and, and play against NBA bigs right away. 
Now, this thought just popped in my head before we discuss, like, prospect Colin Sexton and Mikhail Burgess. Those are two guys I wanted to discuss with you alongside Oregon's Troy Brown today. But as far as prospects in the Sun system, are Marquise Chris, Dragon Bender, Josh Jackson, how do you think those guys, not considering their sons, so let's say Candace, Josh Jackson, Washington, Marquise Chris, Maccabi, Dragon Bender, where do those guys rank for you in this 2018 draft class? Because I feel like maybe those guys are kind of teetering on the lottery, and maybe not Jackson, but Bender and Chris for you. Yeah, I think Chris, um, that's an interesting question, actually. I, didn't even, I never really think about it like that, but Jackson's probably, I think he's probably still below Porter Jr. and Bagley. Uh, that's hard, though. I think he may be right around where Bagley is. So wherever you have him, I would say he's probably a similar place. Um, I think Chris, I mean, it's hard not to get colored because we know much about what he's done since. But I, I don't remember being super-duper excited about him. He was at the very tail end, the consensus kind of top of that lottery at, at number eight. And so I think he would be pretty low for me, maybe even you know, right around 11, 12 in this one. And Benderis, I, was, I really liked him, and so I think I would still have him kind of right around on the area. So maybe four, five, whatever you have three. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's pretty. I think I'd probably have Bender around where Wendell Carter is. I think around seven or eight makes a lot of sense for him. I'm pretty similar to you as far as Josh Jackson as well. I think he's right off to the top five for me. But another guy I want to touch on today on this podcast was, as we mentioned, Colin Sexton from Alabama. He's a guy that's really slipping on my board. He's outside my top 10 now. So I think he's at right now, I'm not on my board in front of me right now, but I think he's number 12 or number 13 on my board. He's really starting to slip after he's shown a lot over the past couple of games that he's not a playmaker. He's more of a combo guard moving forward. I think he might be better naturally suited to guard the next level, even though he's six foot two. So, just what's your thoughts on Colin Sexton? I feel like he's the guy that's probably slipping the most on most boards out there. So, just to push back a little bit on the two points you made. So, um, I watched. He, I, I, he wasn't too great against. Uh, I don't remember who they played last. Um, they played like last night. I think this maybe. Um, but against Auburn on Saturday incredible and I watched like the first half and then a little bit of the second half uh, earlier this afternoon and press I think so combo guard like isn't really I'm not worried about that as much I think at this point in the league is I think a lot of the best guards in the league could combo guards or maybe people are uh, Russell Westbrook James Harden even Steph Curry I, I don't you know they can pass really really well all three of those guys are elite passers for their position and uh, tally assists like it's nothing but um, you know the fact that they score I think is just a part of how, how the NBA is at this point and so especially the ability to nail pull up jumpers which is something Sexton can do even though he hasn't shot well this year um, I really just me you know and he can defend point guards is the other thing I was going to say I really do think he's going to be a better defensive prospect than he currently is Alabama runs like the most boring typical college zone defense he'll ever be. And he really, you know, he's put on, shoved in the corner when they, whenever they do isolate. And it's really like he's he's very rarely put in positions where he has to defend. Um, you know, I just think if you put him in this situation, uh, he's going to be a much better passer and, and finisher than he looks like right now. And uh, I think, you know, I think he's a guy for the tournament where, you know, take over a game, score 25 and, Alabama to like the third round and um, really gain gain a lot of attention. I just think right now Avery Johnson's just running a really conservative system on both ends. I don't think that helps him so much. 
Yeah, uh, this just popped in my head as well with the thoughts on Sexton. But with overpaid on the roster, a guy that can also drive to the run at will, he's very good at finishing, can't really shoot from the outside that well or consistently. Is Colin Sexton sort of like an Alfred Payton where he's very good at, as a finisher and maybe maybe his fiddle alongside Booker is better than, we, than we're both thinking because if, it, if Payton's thriving like he is alongside Devin Booker, I feel like Colin Sexton could really ha- much have the same similar result. Yeah, I, I think I'm a little bit more excited about Sexton shooting, but obviously it hasn't shown up and even his free throw shooting is at a 78% this year, which for a point guard, somebody who you would expect at the next level is going to get to the line quite a bit. That's not really the the range you'd like him to be at. So maybe the shot doesn't show up uh, soon and he does look a little bit more like Peyton than, you know, comparison you could have for him, Kyrie Irving or something crazy in the other direction um, early in his career. But um, I think one thing about Sexton that I just, I'm a little bit higher on his athleticism and finishing than even, you know, the Peyton type players in the NBA who can score and, and really have a lot of production I just think his first step is crazy to watch and um, you know once he gets to the rim he can contort and finish acrobatically as well just uh, a really elite athlete in my mind and so that makes him a little bit more exciting to me than somebody like Peyton who isn't really at that level I mean yeah I agree with you there on the speed part I mean he's he kind of reminds me as like a speed demon kind of guard like De'Aaron Fox and John Wall he's kind of the next prototype guard in there yeah, he looks, I mean, it's funny because his hair looks like, like Fox and they are built the same way, so it's kind of cheap to say that. I always want to make that comparison as far as their offense goes, and then I'm like, where am I really just going to pick two guys that look the same and compare them? But I really do think that's a pretty close uh, thing. Maybe, obviously, Sexton's not quite as good a defender, but probably a little bit better on offense, so maybe they're around the same value. And that does show, like you were saying, with the draft comparisons last year and this year, Fox went fifth and could have gone higher potentially and you know Sexton's maybe out of the top 10 for some people that's you know pretty big indicator of how good this draft is yeah thinking about more and more like if Wendell Carter any other year I think he's a top five top four pick and now he might be eight or nine in this draft that just shows you how how special the 2018 draft class is I think I'm getting a lot of 2003 vibes off this class the more I watch it so there's I think there's gonna be at least six or seven transcendent guys in this class but another guy I want to touch on with you today was Mikhail Birds out of Villanova he's maintained so far He's kind of slowed down in conference play, but but my goodness, he's still an impressive three and D profile guy. He's number nine on my board right now, and he's probably going to maintain it inside that top ten the rest of the season because his versatility is just a weapon that's going to be immediately utilized in the next level. Yeah, I think it's crazy to me um, just here considering he is a junior. The more I watch him, the more you see how comfortable he's becoming since. Uh, just all kinds of shots he's able to make from three and uh, watching Xavier on Saturday, like just 10 of 15 um, in the games that I've won all year, setting the tone on defense and then also being able to put up that kind of scoring total is, I think just, and one thing about Villanova is they run like a pretty close to a professional type of offense. Like he's spotting up on the perimeter and, and attacking closeouts and doing a lot of the same types of things you would expect him to do in the NBA. So um, to, to do that much with Villanova against top teams like Xavier, I think you're talking about another guy kind of like Carter who has a really high floor and he's going to be able to help the team pretty quickly. As far as fits on the next level goes, I mean, if the Suns were to trade up and get a Mikhail Bridges or he used a Miami pick on somehow some way he fell there, he makes a lot of sense to Phoenix, but 
I'd like you mentioned earlier with Philadelphia, I think he makes a lot of sense alongside Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. That's kind of a scary thought alongside Covington too. That's a really fearsome duo as far as on the wing goes defensively. But I think McHale and his shot is another thing I want to Oh, no, continue. I just said, I was going to say that I have bridges. I mean, I do these mocks every week. It gets boring to give these guys this thing pair of these guys with the same teams every week so for a while I was really excited about Bridges on the Sixers too I just but I mean he's the kind of player like pretty prototypical 3 and D like you said so he's going to look good anywhere putting the Suns who really value that versatility yeah I just he's he's so valuable in that way that that Carter is and I think that's why I have him a little bit higher because his his prototype is is much more valuable I think at this point than than what Carter brings do you think even though he is a 21-year-old junior, do you think Mikhail Burgess could be the guy maybe after the combine that could sneak up on some boards in like the top seven? Because I feel like he's a guy that's going to maybe catch people off guard at the combine as far as like, wow, he's this athletic. And even compared to the freshman guys, he's super athletic and he could be a guy we actually build around as a secondary option. Yeah, I think so. I mean, he's really long, um, has really good athleticism, obviously not necessarily at that level of like a Michael Porter type of wing guy who can just leap and, and run like nobody, but obviously has the, a lot of the skill type things that you look for. And then, you know, like Donovan Mitchell, there was the, the legendary stories at this point of Mitchell just going crazy in workouts, making every 3D shot. And I think Bridges is something similar when he's in a room. Yeah, I totally agree. I think he's going to be a top 10 pick for pretty firmly once we get to the draft time. But I don't know if you saw recently, I checked my Twitter about five minutes ago, but did you see the latest news from John Rothstein out of the college basketball? I did, about uh, Michael Porter, right? Yes, Michael Porter Jr. is officially cleared, so that, that means my board is a little different now. That, that, that's going to move Porter up to number three on my board if he's fully healthy and cleared. So I guess you want to touch on this real quick since it's sort of breaking news today with Porter, and I kind of like his fit overall at the Suns, I guess, but now we're going to probably see Michael Porter Jr. try to lead the Missouri Tigers on a March Madness run, so... That could really boost his stock up even more. So what's your thoughts on Porter returning the action this year and sort of risking his draft stock a little bit, but also maybe trying to prove at the same time? Yeah, so when I already wrote the section on him for the mock and had really looked into him quite a bit this week with the momentum moving toward him being cleared. And um, he, Kwanzaa coach at Missouri, gave a pretty interesting interview to the Kansas City Star talking about the potential for, for Porter to return. And one of the most interesting quotes there that he gave was, he said, um, it's not a team fitting in with Mike, Michael Porter, because that train is already rolling. Um, and, you know, they've been one of the most impressive stories in college basketball this year, you know, including Porter's brother, Jonte, who has prospect. And they're uh, going to be an NCAA tournament team, and they're going to be really competitive uh, in it, I would assume, having a lot of success this year. So it, it was just here, Martin, who's kind of the reason that Port came to Missouri, say that, you know, it's about we're not going to change just because we have a really talented player coming in and we're, you know, kinds of what he said. They're not just going to be, you know, isolating Porter just because now, oh, well, he's a big draft prospect and he's getting some time to play and, you know, eyes are going to be on him for the first time all season, et cetera. It's going to be, you know, he's going to have to play in the corner just like he would have had to at the beginning of the year. So um, it, it's going to be 
probably um, one of the end conference tournaments, and it would be awesome to see Porter just dominate that tournament and kind of, you know, they could win the SEC. There's not really a, a really, really dominant team in the SEC right now. It's a lot of good teams with no one uh, standout. So I'm excited to watch him play. For sure. I think Michael Porter and Jonathan Porter could really lead Missouri onto a magical March Madness run together, maybe Sweet 16 or further, I imagine, because I think Porter's going to be a guy that really bursts onto the scene once he gets back in the action. He's only played two minutes of first year from Missouri after the opening opening segment against Iowa State. But for people that haven't watched Michael Porter Jr. before, Brandon, just what's your thoughts on his overall draft profile? Because to me, he's a six foot ten guy in a small forward body who's an elite scorer, very fluid. He's almost like Kevin Durant type, not exactly the exact prospect but such an elite scorer and such a big body and he's so fluid and easily movable he could play two through four I imagine so I feel like with him if he can prove he's a he can also be a capable defender I think he has really big star potential next level I think yeah I think his his offensive game is going to translate pretty well I think um the thing probably to watch is because it's always a, a bit of a concern, I guess, or, or just a, an interest point for moving to the college game out of high school is, you know, to be able to shoot, and, and that'll be obviously big, but uh, he just has so many secondary skills to I think he's going to be a pretty solid post player, being able to attack mismatches or if he, you know, if he does three he's going to be taller than everybody he's going up against, and um, just a really smooth player as an odd guy. It, it's interesting to me that I've been hoping to get to, to check out if he were to play is Kevin O'Connor from the ringer has been really, really harping on his lack of ball handling ability. And that I hadn't heard that really from anybody else. And so I'm, I'm interested in kind of how he looks at in that way once he, he is on the court. But to me, he just seems pretty, pretty solid on offense already. And the defense is just going to be kind of, you know, learning how to use his body. I guess, Adding on to that point you mentioned from KOC with his lack of ball handling, if he does have some sort of issues with that, just not as good as we expect, how does that affect him as far as you rank him on your board? Not too much because I don't imagine, you know, it's hard because um, they're like that, at least early on in his career, that, that's not really a skill he's going to need. Um the NBA that, that that always is something that comes along for a lot of players but you know maybe it does hamper his ability to be in a really dominant go-to score I think if you do compare him to somebody like Jason Tatum like that that skill of being able to really just own and and move the offense along especially in a system like Boston's where everybody gets involved that isn't something that does allow Tatum to stand out this year I think that fluidity that he has when the ball's in his hands so while Porter maybe doesn't like much initially, maybe it does limit his ceiling a little bit. Obviously, you know Kevin Durant is can handle the ball like a point guard, and that's why he's that's part of the reason that his versus and, and mismatch creation is so effective. But, you know, I don't think that it means he can't Porter can be a, a really great scorer. Still, I guess the final point here before we wrap today's podcast will be about Porter, and it relates to his fit with Phoenix. We touched on it a little bit back, maybe last month on this podcast about how he's be such a unique fit alongside Josh Jackson, Devin Booker, if they end up with, let's say, a top three, top four pick, not number one, number two. But I guess re, re, um, retracing our steps back toward Michael Porter in our discussion about that, just how would he look alongside Josh Jackson, Devin Booker, and how would that affect a guy like T.J. Warren off the bench maybe? Because having those four wings together would be dynamic, but also would kind of create some sort of some sort of issues where I guess one guy would have to be moved down. I imagine that would be T.J. 
think, you know, I think he's excitingly enticing to me for the Suns just because he fits as far as the versatility goes um, and has a lot of offense that they don't currently have. Um, I think every time I think about the Suns in this draft, my big bit is to get some kind of, of additional scoring punch because I really think that they're going to need that. I don't think um, even the most optimistic read on some of the developing players, they aren't going to turn into offensive powerhouses. So uh, I think that's why he's exciting to me. But I know you're a little bit higher on Josh Jackson than me. Do you think um, his development recently makes you kind of feel less uh, interested in somebody like Porter and, and what he would bring? I don't know. I, I think it actually, to me, I don't know if this is a surprise to you or not, but it kind of intensifies my interest in Porter because I feel like Jackson at the three plays Porter at the four instead of Marquise Chris. You're kind of cooking with fire or cooking with gas there as far as Jackson at the three, Porter at the four, and Booker at the two. I mean, Booker and Porter as scores, and Jackson, if he, if he can develop in the right path, being your main wing defender, that's a really scary young wing trio to build around. Yeah, I like that. I mean, and Bender at the five in that situation, you're you're really creating a pretty good offensive lineup, regardless of who plays point guard, to be honest. So, um, yeah, I think he's going to be somebody who gets a lot of looks, especially if he can come and, and really look good and, and, like we said, lead lead a pretty good Missouri team to uh, a little further than they could have gone without him. I guess to wrap up, I have Michael Porter Jr., MPJ, number three on my board. I guess with today's news about his injury clearance, does he move up or down, or how does MPJ look at your board right now? I, I think he may be a little bit up. Um, I have him maybe six. I think the only guy he would really move past for me is Bamba. Top four for me is probably not going to change until I see him. So I'd say he was six and Bagley seven, I think, at this point, knowing that he's healthy. Yeah, I agree with you there. I think Porter, for me, will be a three, just because I think watching a lot of his high school tape, I think he's a special offensive prospect. But... Obviously, we'll have to see how that translates over into the SC tournament and see William March Madness play. But I appreciate you guys listening to on today's podcast on the Kawhi Leonard News. And we also touched on Wendell Carter Jr. for you guys, Mikhail Birds of Villanova, also Michael Porter Jr. So I hope you guys enjoyed this podcast. And we'll be back with you guys tomorrow recapping the LA Clippers game.